Welcome, everybody. So grateful to have you on the podcast today. We got a special guest today. So grateful to have with me Yves Le Marchand. Good morning. Did I say that right? Nine out of ten. <laughs> uh, Eve is with Experience Scotland. Scotland is just, as far as destinations is concerned, especially with our client base, Scotland is becoming an emerging, amazing incentive travel and meeting travel destination that, you know, the American market really um, has, of course, kind of just overbeaten the, uh, the dead horse when it comes to maybe London, Paris, Rome, kind of the big big cities over in Europe. So I'm grateful to have Eve with me, who is just a, a dynamo in the industry, knows Scotland so well. And so Eve, thank you for joining me here. Um, I'd like to think that you came all the way from Scotland to, to just record this with me, but you do have other well, business. Well, I did, I did. I do have some other business, but uh, I did come to, to record it with you because I know it would be fun anyway. <laughs> That's good. So if people are listening, they're saying, now hold up, this is the strangest Scottish accent I have ever heard. So why don't, why don't we go into a little bit of your history, you know, with a name like Yves Le Marchand. Where are you from? Where did you get started? And uh, let's, go, let's go from that point. Well, I'm from Belgium originally, um, and I was on my way to Australia, something like that. So I was hoping to get to Australia where I had a girlfriend waiting for me working for a five-star hotel in Belgium. And um, so I was told, okay, I can get my visa, I can go working there, but I have to improve my English. And I would need to go and work in an English-speaking country for at least six months to get granted this working visa. Um, So a friend of mine told me that there was uh, a job available at the Sheraton Hotel in Edinburgh. The hotel was only five years old then. That was in 1988. Got the job, um, worked in uh, reservations and reception, uh, then met my wife and never went to Australia. So that's why I'm still in Scotland. Nice. And so you've, so how many years is that then now for, for you in Scotland? 31. And you haven't really picked too much up on the Irish, around the Scottish brogue. Um, I would say that the, the <laughs> French accent has to remain proud of my roots. That's what it's all about. Very, very good. So hotels. I've stayed at the Sheraton. Um, amazing hotel, just with probably the, the best views of Edinburgh Castle, of any hotel in the area, pretty much. Yeah, the Sheraton has got beautiful views. So does the uh, Waldorf. So does the Balmoral. So these are the three sort of big five-star hotels in town. That's cool. So now, from hotels to, to being a destination management company, handling logistics all over Scotland. So tell us, you know, how did you make that transition? What was the, what was the, uh, the spark to leave a big company like Sheraton and to strike it out on your own and, and start your own company? I first left Sheraton to work for another five-star called Turnberry, and it's now called Trump Turnberry. Um, where I became front office manager. And after just about a year, um, someone came to see me and said, would you like to help me develop my business as a DMC? I didn't have a clue what a DMC was. Um, So he brought me back to Edinburgh. I was his business development manager. And I went to Europe, brought him a lot of business. And um, unfortunately, he wasn't handling it very well. 
and honestly it's got nothing to do with me but it was going to go bankrupt um, so another company approached me wanted me to work with them I did and six months later I thought I can do much better by myself so I created Experience Scotland and it was in December 1992 so only four years after being in Scotland Wow and you'd already known the country well enough by then to uh, to start your own DMC it was a very strange situation where the first guy who offered me the job wanted me to work with him but didn't want to show me how it works so I had I had to learn everything by myself I was driving people around you know a little bus I was doing airport pickups I was doing a lot of things that uh, basically brought me where I'm today thanks to him that's where I'm today so we were talking a little bit before and your history is a little bit uh, similar to our company where um, Rick and I our father started destinations back in 1990 off of a second mortgage on our home to put up a deposit on some cruise cabins and you were telling me that was a similar situation for you well, I had to um, start a company, I needed collateral, and the only way to do it was to put my house uh, in the hands of the bank. Uh, within six months of starting the business, my wife told me that she was pregnant. It's a lovely news, but not when you don't really know <laughs> how much you're going to earn at the end of the, of the year. Um, and yeah, you do it when you're 27, 28. Uh, you, if you really believe that you're going to make it happen, you do. And hopefully you do not uh, think that something can go wrong. Had it go wrong by then, we would have lost the house. And I don't know what would have happened after that. Thank uh -huh. goodness it never happened. So it's kind of like, it reminds me of Napoleon, right? Where he, he comes ashore with his men and his first order is to burn the boats. Mm. So there's so, no yeah, return. There's no no return whatsoever. <laughs> no return whatsoever. No, it was, you know, I think passion really explains where we are today. I've always loved what I do. I always believe that there was a gap in the market for offering better service um, to the customers. By then, um, in 92, there was maybe there were only two or three DMCs, one very famous one, the other ones were tiny, and still the level of service wasn't as good as what I was expecting. Um, and yeah, we have gone through now nearly 27 years offering five-star service with great value for money, and people love it. Oh, that's great. Well, it's just it's such a fun industry, you know. So getting back maybe to where you and I met, I'll give a little bit of history on that. You and I met down at, at IMAX mm -hmm. with our, our mutual friend Maeve, yes. who was on our podcast back in March. Mm -hmm. Of course, being St. Patrick's, we had to we had to uh, publish that podcast, you know, August right 17th. around yes. right around uh, St. Patrick's yes. Day. So we had a lot of fun. But we, you and I, met in in uh, in Las Vegas at IMAX, and you, you were wearing your kilt with your sporin. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were at the, at, I think you were at this, the Scotland booth. Very much so. Where we spent some time talking together and we, you wanted to, you wanted to do a familiarization trip with our clients so that we could, you know, come and bring some of our top clients over that haven't, hadn't experienced Scotland yet. I know, but I didn't know you would give me four weeks to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, do it now, do here, it now. Yeah, so <laughs> the history on that was we had a group booked at, uh, we had this familiarization trip booked on Port on uh, Puerto Rico mm -hmm. at the JW Marriott. And I can't remember the name of the hurricane, but right after you and I had talked, later on that fall, 
the hurricane blew right over the top of the island of Puerto Rico mm -hmm. and decimated the JW Marriott, the hotel that we were going to do this familiarization trip with our clients. And your offer was so strong, like, hey, please, like, anytime you have a group that wants to come see Scotland, I want to show it. And so you were gracious enough when I did call you and I said, hey. You've I, got four weeks to do I, it. We have some really short notice. <laughs> uh, maybe we can plan it next year because I don't, ex you know, don't expect you to throw it together this soon. But w w would you be willing to put it together for us in four weeks? Mm. And that's what was amazing about you is that the experience for our people where they were really probably toning up their bodies to be able to wear a swimsuit in front of total strangers and they they were ready to go see you know a, a tropical location we sent out an email and made some phone calls and said hey um since that resort is no longer really operating and they mm -hmm. need to uh they need to re do a total renovation and clean up from the hurricane uh how would you be willing to go to scotland and you know um so many of these clients just jumped at the chance. I think we confirmed, reconfirmed everybody. Um, we did, in telling one particular couple about the change, the, uh, the spouse of one of the, the, uh, the, the vice presidents of marketing from this one company mm -hmm. found out he called his wife and said, hey, it's no longer Puerto Rico because of the hurricane. We're now going to Scotland. The second he told her it was Scotland, she started to cry. Because wow. she was so excited about going to Scotland. That's very nice. And so uh, a wonderful experience. So th that experience we had with you um, in Scotland back in the fall of 2017, mm. it's already been that long. It's nearly two years. I know. It was it's just was an incredible opportunity for those clients to see, to see Scotland. So for you, you've been creating experiences in Scotland. And that's the name of your company, Experience mm. Scotland. Tell us about not only your passion for creating experiences, but maybe get into some of the things that you've been doing lately to not only give people that maybe traditional Scottish experience, but what, what are some of the out-of-the-box uh, out things that you uh, have thrown into the mix to give people a great experience? Out-of-the-box without letting everyone know exactly what we do. It's probably a program that's called Back to Nature, Back to Basics where people get the chance to um, experience what nature has to offer in Scotland. Um, we came with this idea when we were um, brainstorming a few CEOs of companies and they said to us, well, it's simple. A private jet is a private jet, a five-star is a five-star. Um, okay, some are better than others. And tried to give me something that would really blow my mind, tried to make something very special. and we pitched that idea that they probably would remember when they were five years old they went out fishing for the first time with their father um, where you would go in the middle of a forest you have a luxury tent awaiting you you have specialists telling you how to for example make a fire out of nothing how to go fishing and barbecue the fish how to discover what foraging is all about what you can eat what you cannot eat um, and lately we've had as many as 250 people uh, dotted in a forest, uh, loving it. And when we took them the following day into a five-star hotel, they were disappointed because they loved uh, the, the outdoors so much. It's such a novel way to do it, but it's, you don't need to be fit. You just need to be wanting to be outdoors, and everyone wants to be out there. Oh, that's great. Yeah, 
I mean, our, our time in Scotland with you, we didn't get up into the Highlands. This is for the next one. That's that's the next one. But even just getting up, you know, up near St. Andrews was, was an amazing experience for people. Um, so it seems to me, you know, with my experience with you and the people that you have on the ground on running your programs, that, you know, you're, you're, you're pulling together hotel partners, you're pulling together transportation providers, uh, people that do guiding, tour guides, um, people that know all about Scotland. There's all these components and these things that you're bringing together. And it really seemed like a seamless experience where everybody had your same passion. So how have you been able to, to create a network of people that you work with in Scotland that, that share your belief about treating the guests the way they should be treated, that five-star experience? And how is it that it just seemed like everybody had been trained specifically by you? I think over the years, I've always trust, trusted my gut feelings for everything I do. And when I meet someone, um, for vendors to hoteliers to anyone, that gut feeling will tell me within the first minute if we will click and be able to work together and sharing the same goals, which is making sure that the people we are going to bring them will always be happy. We've created, of course, over 27 years, a wide range of um, amazing people, amazing tasks, amazing, amazing um, capabilities that we handpick depending on what the group is looking for. If it's 10 people, if it's 3,000 people or more, we can always find the right way to, um, to ensure that what they were expecting because they're really dreaming about coming to a destination. So we need to deliver, we need to make sure that their dream comes true. Uh, and once that dream comes true, we are happy. They go home and what they were expecting before they left, we made it happen. And this is how all of us uh, keep being so happy about what we do, so, so excited about the next program because we have delivered again that special dream they were, they were thinking about. So what's the secret sauce in creating that in your opinion, in creating that dream experience in Scotland, what, 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 what is for you the, the most important component to creating that experience? Uh, creativity is very important and having people who share the same uh, hunger for, for success. Success is not a financial achievement. Success is the, uh, the happiness, the happy moments you read in your client's eyes when they leave the country after being with you. This is what success, our motto is your success is our success. It's exactly what we do. And uh, for, for people wanting to go further, always a step further, to do 110% instead of 100% to find these new little suppliers or vendors that no one knew about, this is where we thrive at being very special. There are several ways to look into Scotland where everyone could uh, end up doing the same program, seeing the same castle and doing the same evening entertainment. Um, of course we can offer that if it's what the clients want, but we like to only offer that with a little plus. The plus being there are other people out there that would make your program even more special. Cool. So on, on the experience side, I think too, what, what I've loved about working with you and your team is that it doesn't just go into meeting expectations. I think you do a, a wonderful job at, at letting me know what I, what I can expect from a Scotland program and how we can add and, and, and create an amazing experience for people. But one thing that I noticed about your team is that 
they do a very good job at anticipating the needs of the guests. So talk to me a little bit about why is that anticipating the need of the guest been something that you've become so good at? Like how, basically I'm asking you, how have you learned how to read the guest's mind into giving them that experience? In the 80s, I was working for Hilton in Brussels. It was probably the best five-star hotel in Belgium, maybe slightly further in Belgium. And to anticipate the guest needs would mean getting a little tip. This was the way I understood what clients wanted. I could see, understand, and be there before they wanted it, offer it before they wanted it. Um, and this is what made me what I am today, to understand that those clients wanted something that I could foresee. Um, and I've passed it on to, to my staff to say that it's nice to be able to be reactive, but I want you to be proactive and understand what they really want. And by training, talking, brainstorming, um, and being surrounded also by really young people who, who bring new ideas on the table, this is how we've managed to, uh, um, to keep abreast of the competition, to always be uh, at least two or three steps ahead by anticipating what is really needed. Cool. So now, you've been in the industry now for, for many years. What has, for you, why, where does the passion come from? I mean, does it come up from your upbringing? I mean, because the Belgians are known for amazing hospitality. Or, so, so where does it, where's the spark? Where did it start for you? Um, I think I once went to see a friend who's a shrink, and she explained to me that maybe I wanted to be loved. And if you want to be loved, you want to please people. Uh, maybe it comes from there. I don't know. Um, it's probably one of the good reasons. I want to make sure people are happy. Um, sharing the happiness is nice. Uh, I like to, uh, I'm always very positive. The glass is always half full. Um, I always find a positive point, even in a very negative situation. Uh, I think this is the second part. The first part, wanting to be loved, is nice. The second one, being positive is another one. So if you, you've got in front of you someone who can only see the positive side of life, it can only be good for you as a customer because um, there's too many guys out there who spend their life moaning and complaining. This doesn't happen with us. We find solutions. It's a good DMC is a guy who will never be cornered, who once uh, faces something really terrible and doesn't know what to do with it, will find a solution. Um, an average DMC will run away from it and call his client and say, we have a problem, find a solution. Okay, so do you have an experience you could share where maybe the worst some, one? <laughs> somebody else would have been caught in a corner and probably would have mm. turned their tail and run and, and you found a creative yeah. solution? The, the, the worst one probably is back, one of my very first groups. Uh, we started with school groups, with uh, leisure groups, we had to make money, so, and then we moved into the incentive market uh, about 20 years ago. But um, one of the very first school group, and, and, and you have to understand that we wanted to please them. So they had a very low budget. They were staying in York for the first night, Edinburgh for two, and back to York for the, for the last night. So England and then Scotland. And my contact in the hotel in England said to me, I've got a great deal. I will upgrade 
your, your school to a four-star deluxe hotel. Mm. They were delighted. But then they came into Edinburgh to what they had paid for, what they had agreed on. And at one stage, I had 56 people outside the hotel refusing to check in because <laughs> they had had such a good hotel in the first night. Big mistake. I would never do this again. <laughs> you, you're great on the last night, not on the first night. Uh, and after two hours of discussing a lot of things with them and finding solutions, eventually we sat at a bar and we had a beer together and they checked in and everyone was happy. But out of my 27 years as DMC, this one probably stands out as being one of the ones that I thought I would never get out of. And eventually I did. But keep in mind that I was trying to please them by giving them an upgrade in the first night, thing I will never do ever again. <laughs> We've run into that before too. You know, sometimes when you work with a, a high-level incentive and everybody's earned that reward, and the idea behind it is that when you get on site, everybody needs to have a very equal experience. And we uh, we gave the hotel. They said, "Look, if we have uh, available upgrades, what's the pecking order of who we should give upgrades to?" Mm. And we said, "You know." you really shouldn't do any upgrades. We need the same category for everybody. But if you were to do upgrades, here's a list of the executives in the company. Mm -hmm. And if you do give those upgrades, let us know ahead of time so that we can tell them, hey, you're getting an upgrade. But when you check in, don't tell everybody you're getting an upgrade because I know. it, you know. So this poor, so if you can imagine, we're at the Four Seasons on Lanai. Very nice, yeah. A really, really nice Four Seasons resort. And everybody had come over on boat. We had this beautiful experience at sunset coming over from Maui mm. to Lanai. Everybody had drinks and, you know, some hors d'oeuvres. And, and uh, the check-in experience was right there in the, in the front. Well, he was given his key, but the hotel had not told us that they had given anybody any upgrades. Mm. And so... He gets to his room and it's oceanfront mm. and it's big. Mm. And everybody else had ocean view, but farther back, you know, with not only views of the ocean, but views of the garden. And he comes into the lobby and there's still a few people getting their keys. And he just announces to everybody that they're going to love their oceanfront room. Oh it is just right there. And these were all, uh, you know, high producing network marketing mm -hmm. um, producers. Mm. And, uh, they were not happy that the CEO of their of their company was getting an upgrade from uh, from that, that they weren't you know that they didn't get and so yeah sometimes you can run into where an upgrade is actually a, a detriment to totally, the program. Totally right. Totally right. <laughs> That's why if we go back to the the three hotels we talked about earlier in Edinburgh, if you want that kind of standards, the one that offers the best. Uh, or the least problematic solution for you would be the Sheraton Grand yeah. because most bedrooms are similar. You will never have these problems. Yeah. The other two properties being a bit older will have a size situation, a view situation, you know, uh, so it's important. Yeah, like the, the Balmoral is going to be that, that kind of that grand, grand dom, mm -hmm. a beautiful, iconic, very old building. It has a lot of character. It's in an amazing location, but the room products are going to be different. Very much so. Yeah. You might stay in the you might stay in the J.K. Rowling suite. I know, right? But yeah, the Sheraton does have that more, um, you know, just 
consistent experience. We're very excited that Rosewood is looking into building in, in Edinburgh. Oh, so wow. this would be really nice because I, I tried a property in London not long ago and it's really nice too. Yeah, and I think I think just getting into into that Sheraton, I love our stay there. Mm. I, I think that that is definitely a five star hotel. And you know, it's it's unfortunate because the sh I think here in the American market, Sheraton and even the Sheraton Grand, when people hear the name Sheraton, they don't always associate it with luxury. Luxury, yeah. and people need to understand that 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 particular hotel, Sheraton Edinburgh, is is a fantastic location. It is a five star experience, and it's a great package because yeah. it also offers um, seven floors of. of uh, pampering with their beautiful spa, yeah. which is called The One, because they've been number one in 10 years on TripAdvisor. Um, I think on its own, uh, the hotel is absolutely fantastic. The service is fantastic. Um, it hasn't got, unfortunately, the same look on the outside yeah. as the other two have, which is a bit of an older look. Um, the two other hotels were either side of, uh, either side of Princess Street and they were associated to the train station. So that's why they have that kind of old look. Uh, whereas the Sheraton is a bit more modern from the outside, but inside it's just fabulous. So Edinburgh is a city. Um, I was just, I, I loved every second there. It's, it felt, it had, it had the, it, a lot of the charm that you find in London without its massive size. Mm. And uh, it seemed to me there, there has to be almost a million venues to do a group event well there's more and more venues <laughs> it's it's true we have a lot of venues and more of, of the older venues are being refurbished into uh, special places for lunches for dinners for whiskey tasting for um, salmon tasting for beef tasting there's a lot of things we can taste when we're out there uh, but Edinburgh is uh, an amazing place for, for for just walking around something you guys don't really do a lot yeah. uh, it's only 650,000 inhabitants. Uh, you go from one end of Princess Street to the other in 15 minutes. You can just basically just browse around the town, uh, keep your head up all the time, look at the, the beautiful buildings. It's, it's a half day gone already by, before you can even know where you are. It's such a gorgeous place. I, mean, I fell in love with Edinburgh the moment I came in. So the other thing, too, about Edinburgh and Scotland in general is you know maybe Americans don't, when they think of Scotland, think of food. No, my experience is the food was fantastic. Out of this world, most definitely, yes. The produce itself, what they produce in Scotland is, um, I just mentioned the smoked salmon, or salmon any way you want, smoked or, or not smoked. Um, yeah. Aberdeen Angus beef, which is the, probably one of the best beef in, in the world. But also things people wouldn't associate Scotland with being... Um, Asparagus, for example, it's the best asparagus in the UK, uh, where the, the, the three, two and three Michelin star chefs in London come and fight to get it in Scotland because it is better than anywhere else in the UK. Um, berries, red, red berries, raspberries, strawberries, they are the best in the UK. Uh, and let's not forget seafood because lobster and crab and and the most amazing shrimps we have in Scotland, never mind the, the mussels, are always on top of the menus. In fact, I received um, in the office a menu that was made in 1898 for King Leopold II of Belgium. Whoa. Uh, and on top of the menu, the starter, 
1898 was Scottish oysters served with Moëchon de Champagne. So it, 1898, <laughs> it just, you know, it shows how far back it goes for having the best seafood in, um, in the UK, most definitely. And most of the seafood was sent to the markets in Spain in big lorries, and they were sold as fresh on the markets every morning, whereas now it's being consumed in Scotland for not only the Scottish people, but also people visiting. It seems like the in Scotland, I don't know if it's a government effort or what it is, but a, a, a really great campaign to highlight the farm-to-table aspect. Yeah, the provenance is very important now. I mean, you, you can walk into a restaurant, they will show you exactly where everything is coming from, which is something that started in Europe way back. So you can see where the farm is, where they bought it, how long it took to get it there, and how much they get from there, who's looking after it, all those new organic products are just amazing but the provenance i think is so important for people to know what's in their plate fresh very fresh yeah, that's awesome you know the other thing too our group wasn't very large but i think when we did you know it seems to me that whenever you do a plated meal with a large group and you just finished up a program with 400 people mm-hmm. um, the quality can suffer a little bit with the size of a group and it seemed to me that there wasn't much sacrifice made with any of the meals that you did for our group, um, how 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 is it with large groups and food? It, it remains the same. I, I often ask myself, how can they do it? Because we, as organizers, will sit at the last table, the furthest away from the kitchen, to make sure that if anything is wrong, we get it. Uh, it's as piping hot and as good as a first table. We have two or three amazing caterers in um, in Scotland, and. Our, I can't put it past them. They are just fantastic. The, the quality of the food, the way it comes on the plate, the presentation, they, they really try to emulate what they see around the world. They go and have um, training sessions um, in, in the best restaurants to, to get the ideas of how, how to make it different. Um, as I said earlier, foraging is very important. Go and find this organic product that's free in the, in, in the meadows, go and pick it up and, and just, just put it on the plate, growing on its own without anyone pushing it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the, the quality of, of what's on your plate um, has never been an issue. We had up to 700, uh, dinner for 700, and everything was piping hot and wonderful from number one to number 700. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was very apparent to me that the, the, the people that you were using um, just they knew their food they knew how to they, they just knew how to serve mm. large groups and it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing to see that because i think that is always the fear so they were even able to make haggis delicious it is delicious <laughs> well it I, is it is i mean come on what what do you do with a sheep you've had a sheep you've had the wool you've had a little bit of ribs or leg of lamb or right. whatever and there's still some stuff left there so uh, you know the <laughs> reputation of Scottish people they, they don't want to waste anything right That's so haggis is just like mincemeat um, and it's got a little bit of oats in it it's got a little bit of spice in it and it's a wonderful starter served with a um, potato and turnips well it, it seems to me though as far as Americans you know haggis is going to be that food every place has that one dish that that you almost just eat as a dare mm. or, or you lose a bet and you have to eat it I but don't no no what, I guess what I'm getting at is that 
you were able to bring in some elements of haggis in in the in the menus that you served us, mm-hmm. where with a difference, haggis we, with a difference. We knew it was haggis, but it was presented in a, a yeah. in a very creative way. Yeah, but also very appetizing. Like I, I could see myself eating haggis and, mm. and and coming back here and telling people because that was one of the things people said it was your first time to Scotland. Mm. How was the haggis? Was one of the like very first questions yeah. that that's asked and I said I loved it I think that there is when when you wake up the first morning after flying over and you have it on the uh, breakfast buffet there's a dare right yeah uh, otherwise uh, I can't really see haggis with scrambled eggs in the morning not my, my thing but um, if people like whiskey I love having a little whiskey with haggis it works out really really well or some people pour a little bit of whiskey on top of the haggis when they eat it um, it, it works out really well. I mean, they, the way they've created it, the way they've changed it, the appearance maybe was one of the things that uh, would put people off. Uh, it's now layered, it's got lovely things <laughs> around it, so it's very nice. Well, that's great. So if you were to sit down with, with us and one of our clients and we were to say we had six nights, mm-hmm. and we want a true Scottish experience, with a little bit of creativity and fun thrown in, what's what is a sample program you would just right off the bat, right off the top of your head, say, this is what you need to do? Well, top of my head would mean that we would need to talk a bit to find out what the client really wants. But let's say we've had that chat already okay. and we know what you want. Um, I, I strongly believe that um, as much as Edinburgh is an important part of your incentive trip, uh, the countryside is even more important. Um, you have experienced St Andrews, um, and you are in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there's also other places like Glen Eagles, which is even more in the middle of nowhere for a, a resort where you have all activities on site. So I would probably do um, either three and three and four and two, probably four in the countryside, two in Edinburgh, I believe that when people think about Scotland, they think about the scenery, they think about the castles, they think about whiskey distilleries, they think about going to places where everything is, is green and beautiful, the, the lochs, i.e. the lakes, are amazing. So we start with this first part of the dream, which is to go around the countryside, um, of course with dinners in castles and, and special restaurants that are out there. And we would finish with um, two nights in Edinburgh where we can discover part of the city the way we do it. For example, um, you can go in underground Edinburgh. This is nothing special. You'll find it on, on the website. But we, br- we give you black capes. Everyone comes out of the hotel with black, black capes. Everyone, uh, one out of ten will carry a lantern like Harry Potter. And we'll follow a piper taking us down to the to uh, the underground. Um, these kind of little details make a huge difference in the way the group will enjoy themselves being there. Um, but the last two nights, we come back to what I would call civiliz- civilization. We will go back to see a little bit of shopping, um, do some uh, dine around in the special restaurants we have in, in the city, and and discover, as you have discovered it yourself. Edinburgh Castle, one of the most seen places in, in Scotland, the crown jewels and all the, all the most uh, amazing views from the top of the castle. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'd love to, you know, that, that was essentially what we did with you. 
Yeah, nearly, nearly. Because yeah, yeah we've, we've, seen, we've seen an awful lot of Scotland for the, the little time you yeah. were there. So the Glen Eagles is an amazing uh, off-the-beaten-path, definitely-out-there place that combines everything from the beautiful scenery. Uh, golf, I think, mm. is probably something that needs to be talked about here because yeah, so. Scottish golf is, I think, the pinnacle of... of well, golf was supposedly born in, in Scotland, so... Uh, in 1400 something um, I, I, I can't tell you that there's written proof of golf in Belgium before that but it wasn't called <laughs> Belgium then it was Flanders so let's just not mix things up um, <laughs> it's part of my my speeches when I talk to uh, Scottish people and um, golf is yeah the RNA which is the people governing golfs are based in St Andrew St Andrews they uh, all the changes for golf out there. The, the old course in St Andrews is the most thought after. It's a mecca of golf. Probably not the very best golf courses in Scotland, but the most iconic. Yeah, Everyone wants to be on it. Definitely most well known. Yeah. Then the ones in Glen Eagles follow because the Ryder Cup was on there too. Yeah. So where Europeans, you know, sort of. Well, it's so much easier to get on Glen Eagles. You guys, you know, I mean, they kind of trashed the Americans. But it's just, they were <laughs> happy about that. So um, it's one of these <laughs> things. Um, yeah, Glen Eagles is just an amazing place for, for a lot of things. Uh, if clay pigeon shooting, if you like to do this kind of outdoor pursuit, you have everything on site. It helps. For your group, it means that you don't need to really move very much. Um, you do everything by foot. You've got uh, the possibility to go and drive um, four by four vehicles in weird and wonderful locations with a sometimes 47 degree angle, which is nice. So yeah, it's really good fun. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. So that's excellent. Well, it, you've, you've definitely given us an awesome insight into Scotland. It's definitely a place that should be on every shortlist for a European incentive, especially for American companies that we work with. Yeah, lately you, what you have to look at is the, the airlift has never been better. I mean, one of the things that we're missing, if we compare now um, Scotland with Ireland, our friend Maeve, um, the most important thing for, for Ireland is that they have the great connections with Aer Lingus going absolutely everywhere in the US. We now have just about everyone from the U.S. flying into Scotland, too. Uh, this makes it even easier. So you yeah. guys have to come and see. What about the exchange rate for, for U.S. and the, the pound? It's not changing a lot. It's about 130, 1.3. So it's not been very much change in the past few years. So it's still okay. Uh, it's been 2 to 1 at one stage. So yeah. 1.3 is a good time to come. And with Brexit... Has that caused any volatility in what, you've, what you're quoting and what you're doing with U.S.-based clients? We've not seen anything as yet, especially when no one knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, our prime minister included, so uh, yeah, no sounds, one knows what's happening. Sounds like so, yes. it. So uh, if there is a concern, when you're working with an American client, if there is a concern about costs, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, um, you know, when you have an exchange rate that, 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 that kind of swings more in the favor of, of uh, the U.K., Mm -hmm. And things might be a little bit more expensive, but how how do you overcome maybe if that's a hurdle in somebody's head on an exchange rate? How do you combat that to, to help them get over that that concern? Well, first and foremost, we've had a great buying power with our own vendors for the past twenty five years. So what I would say to them was, 
start asking us what you think about uh, what we think about the hotels, how much the hotels are quoting you. Um, hotels are sometimes a little bit greedy, as you know, and they see that you guys are from the US, you want to book a hotel. It has happened that hoteliers put an extra 15% on top because you know it's a direct booking from the US. Um, if we were to handle it, that 15 would probably disappear straight away. You would have a normal price and then we would manage to uh, negotiate something really special for you. But if it's not the case, what we always ask our customers is to tell us how much you're being charged so we can help you getting a better price. And yeah. this is a partnership. That's what it's all about. Yeah, negotiating, buying power, yeah. being in the industry a long time really helps. I, I think that's a, a, some really great points because you know, while we might have that exchange rate and maybe some potential volatility with Brexit down the line, and we'll see. But you know, when, when you do work with partners that have been there for a really long time, that can help negotiate great rates, uh, it definitely makes a big difference in the overall cost of the program. So I would, I, I would add all of that you've added, but, you're, but I'd add one more thing. It's just like you have to price out a nice program in Scotland to really know mm -hmm. all the components and, and make sure all the components are in there and then see how that stacks up to your expectations because I think that um, people will be pleasantly surprised that it will be a, a, a very affordable five-star experience that will include everything that they want to to do in that program. Mm -hmm. Very so. much so. Yeah, very much. there is for the moment uh, still a, a great opportunity for the next probably couple of years to have the most amazing rates um, from the American market. And I think if we keep getting that busy from the American side, we may end up looking a little bit like Ireland for the moment where the prices have gone up. Yeah, um, and they have. It's yield management. There's nothing you can do, but the more success that destination has, the higher the prices will be. It depends on the markets, but I know exactly that this is what has happened with yeah. uh, with my friend Maeve. She's always on the phone to me telling me that, you know, the hotels in Dublin are, are ridiculous. And it's unfortunately understandable. They they know that they can get away with it and there's nothing you can do. And their economy has been just getting stronger and stronger. I know. After going through, after going through near bankruptcy. Yeah. yeah they did absolutely. really well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Scotland again. Just just love it. So. As we wind down here, let's let's give you a imaginary scenario. You're with me in a room with a CEO of a big company, and Scotland just isn't on his radar. He's thinking of other European destinations. How do we convince him? What do we say to? to it's, it's very simple. He's already half Scottish. I mean, if he's not half Scottish, he's half Irish. So, I mean, my, my approach would be, listen, <laughs> you have to go back to your roots. You have to go back to Scotland at least once in your life. Um, let's do a DNA, DNA test. I'm sure I'm right. But one, one of the reasons that we can bring so many people over is that, yeah, um, so many Scottish guys came over here. Same for the Irish, um, all to the U.S., all for the special life they were looking for. And... Uh, yeah, I'll tell him he's probably half Scottish already, so that's the way to look at it. Get in touch with the roots. Yes, okay. very much so. Take it to the bank. Well, thank you so much for your time. And again, for those that are listening, uh, if Scotland isn't on your list for a, an upcoming incentive travel destination for your company, 
or your meeting or, or whatever that you need to do, and if it's a Europe meeting, um, now's the time. Scotland is the place, and it will give people an amazing experience that they'll never forget. And, uh, you know, destinations, of course, would love to be involved on, in, on any Scotland program. But my friends, if you don't, if you don't have destinations, you know, do the, do the pre-planning. It's and never all. too late. Just do it. Just, Just do it. But talk to my friend Eve and his team at, at Experience Scotland. They are the pros in, in Scotland. There's nobody else that, that, that anybody needs to go to. They will take great care of any group. And it is going to be the most fantastic experience of your life. So, Eve, you've got the last words, my friend. See you guys in Scotland. <laughs> All right, thanks.